Hey, I got a response. That's awesome. Um, to be here tonight. I'll tell you what, I've had probably one of the most exhausting two weeks I've had in a long time. And this has been something I've been revved up and looking forward to the whole time. Um, this is a topic that has been very close to my heart. I will say it's something I'm still tiptoeing into understanding in myself, but I think it is a critical topic. It has been in my life. It's revolutionized with everything. So Proverbs 30, verse 21 and 22 says, under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up, and the first one it lists is a slave when he becomes king. And the reason for that is when you put a slave in the position of kingship, you have someone who has gone from a place of feeling inconsequential, of feeling powerless, of feeling unheard, and all of a sudden you're putting them in a position of influence. And if you think about this, that, that idea of feeling powerless, of feeling inconsequential, all of a sudden, when you drop power into the hands of somebody with that mindset, what are they going to do? They're going to try to do things that make them feel consequential. They're going to try to do things that make them feel powerful. Even if they already have the power, internally, they're still a slave, and they don't understand how to apply that or even believe that they truly have it. How we think about ourselves and how we think about God are the primary drivers of our actions and whether or not we'll ever achieve the fullness of our God-given design. And I believe that we each have a purpose, that we were designed to be a unique delivery system of the power and the nature of God in the earth. We are little Christs. We're made in his image. And it doesn't matter whether, what your job title is, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you have many or few friends, much or little money or power. The only way we'll find ultimate fulfillment is by living in the flow of what we were designed to do. The Bible says David served God's purpose in his own generation, and then he fell asleep. Think about the magnitude of that. Can you imagine what it would be like for God to say about you, You've fulfilled everything I created you to do. I don't know that we can all say that. I don't know that everybody who's ever lived accomplished everything that God created them to do. But we know it's possible. We know it's there. And sometimes this can be a difficult topic. It can be a little bit overwhelming because there's a lot of lofty words. We're talking about life purpose and destiny and fulfilling this whole calling that you've got in your life. And I think when we talk about some of this, we can, it can feel overwhelming. And you think about, oh, I'm supposed to achieve my life calling and what God made me to do. And it just there's so much that you just drop it and throw your hands up and don't do anything. I know I felt that way many times. It's, it's kind of like opening a furniture box from Ikea. You have so much in front of you and no idea what to do with it that you just give up and go get a beer. At least that's what I do. But I want to take the next few weeks and I want to try to break this topic down into bite-sized chunks that we can digest and hopefully actually apply into things that will change how we think and then how we act 
and then how we actually have influence in our world and the world around us. How we think will manifest in what takes place in the world around us. What you believe will manifest in how you act, and it will manifest because of that in what is acted out towards you as well. team allowed me to move here to Colorado Springs and work as a worship pastor at a church. Working as a worship pastor at the youth group at a church allowed me to become a youth pastor at another church, which allowed me to do youth to, to do worship at New Life Church to meet my wife, which allowed me, you know, in each of these jobs, so as a, as a youth pastor, that's where I learned how to make websites. That's where I learned marketing. I did graphic design. Now what am I doing? I'm in real estate. I'm doing marketing. I made my own website. I do graphic design. All of the skills that God is using in my life now came because I was able to latch on to a word that was spoken that I had no reason to believe. The prophetic is calling to the surface the divine design. That's the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is calling to the surface the divine design, what we were created to do. And sometimes the prophetic word is the only thing that launches people forward deeper into their destiny. When a word is spoken of your life, however, it invites conflict. Every time there's a prophetic word that's dropped, that's called to launch you forward, the next thing you're going to experience is conflict. When Moses is called to bring Israel to the promised land, I don't think he has a clue the amount of conflict and struggle that it will take before they actually get there. Joseph gets a dream. He gets a prophetic word. He gets this revelation of who he's supposed to be. And there's a little bit of conflict between the dream and the reality. See, what happens is God gives a word, and then the devil makes us question it. If you look at Adam in the garden, the sin, the original temptation was actually to mistrust what God had said. Did God really say? When you look at Jesus and he's in the wilderness and the devil tempts him, the temptation isn't to make a stone into bread. The temptation is if you're really God's son, it's to question his identity. And the, the thing that God had said to him right before that was God, op heaven's open, and he shouts down from heaven, and everybody hears him say, this is my son whom I love. Then the devil says, if you're really God's son, to make him question it. We can't afford to think about ourselves anything other than what God thinks about us. I can't afford to think about me things that God doesn't think about me. I can't afford to think about other people, things that God doesn't think about other people. We've got to get this because so often we get stuck in our own mind of what we think about ourselves and we act out of that and we've got to get God's word over us. We have to get his revelation and we have to latch on to that. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. We can't know the will of God from our lives apart from a transformed mind. When we think with old thought patterns and we try to discover what God's will is, it's nothing but frustration and confusion. It's like when I'm in, in kids' ministry and they have one of those mazes and they hit the end of the, you know, they hit a, a dead end and they're trying to figure out, they're just moving their crayon up against the wall in the dead end and they can't figure out. And it's like, you can't get to the end from here. You've got to go back and change your direction. Without God's view of who we are, we can't engage with the will of God for our lives. Sometimes what we hear in church or the religious system is actually an echo of the unredeemed mind that keeps us trapped in fear and performance mode. For a while, I helped to lead worship in another church, and I remember when people would come up to, up to me afterwards and they would compliment me on worship, I felt awkward, I felt guilty, I felt just, I didn't know how to handle it. Anytime somebody would, like, I would get down off of the stage and kind of hide in the darkness, and somebody would come find me and say, hey, worship was great this morning. And I would just cringe, and I would say something pathetic, like, oh, it wasn't me, it was God. Yeah, because God was on the stage holding my guitar. I'm like, isn't that kind of worse? <laughs> it wasn't me, I just felt God just came over me, and my whole body was taken over, and it's like, no, no, it was kind of me. <laughs> But that, that false humility, that the truth is what had happened in that point was my giftings and my calling hit the ceiling of my beliefs about myself. And I couldn't get any higher than that because to me, any higher than that was pride. It was, it was oh, I'm, I'm miserable, so I can't possibly accept praise from people. And I, I just, I hit this ceiling where I wasn't able to step any deeper into my calling on my life because I was holding myself back. And the truth is, I had no hope of manifesting anything greater than that in my life until I had my mind renewed to the reality of who I was. I was living like a servant who was experiencing, maybe not kingship, but definitely more what then my identity could handle. See, I love the story of Joseph because you've got this guy, he has the dream, he tells his brothers and his parents and things just blow up on him. But from that point on, it's really interesting when you look at what happens. I know a lot of people tell the story of, you know, well, he was prideful and that's why he was sharing the stuff. And, you know, I think if that was true, I feel like he would have struggled a little bit more with being sold into slavery. If, if he was just full of this, oh, I'm so awesome, and I'm so great, and he just needed to be taken down a peg, I feel like when he was sold into slavery, he would have had a much harder time rising to the cream of the top. See, I think the dream gave him a real picture of who he actually was. I don't think he shared it with pride. I think he shared it with, hey, this is what God told me. Guess what? I don't care what you think of me. I'm just sharing what God told me. I'm not trying to make you feel lesser. You should celebrate with me. This is what God said. There's no shame in God giving you a big dream. There is no shame in God giving you a phenomenal gifting and influence 
but it's not about what everybody else thinks. It's not about the praise of man. And it's also not about the condemnation of man. That is why Joseph lived like a prince far before it was ever manifested in reality. Because he held on to the word that God said, not to circumstances. And listen, guys, this is what kills us. The opinion of man and the circumstances of life kill our destiny when we're willing to believe those more than we believe the word that God has put over us. Those things will manifest right in front of your face every day. But we've got to seek the word of God for our lives. And we've got to hold on to it with a death grip and say, I will believe what God says of me more than what I think of me, more than what you think of me, more than what my circumstances say about me. We've got to get our minds right to do that, though. We've got to be transformed. I used to uh, have a very interesting way of repenting. I don't know if you guys do this. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a four on the Enneagram, so I'm very dramatic. I'm very, like, I just, you know, I put on a, a little bit of a show sometimes, and my wife's sitting there like, no, of course not. <laughs> so when I, when I would sin, I would just like, oh, I've got to, like, just prove to God how messed up I am and how sorry I am, and I've just... And I would legitimately just stir up this just, oh, I'm so horrible, and just like pulling my hair out on the ground. I'm just horrible. I'm so worthless, God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I thought that's what he wanted. That's what repentance is, right? It's, it's a big emotional outburst of, you know, it's rend your heart, not your garments. Okay, God, I'm rending my heart. Oh, I'm so horrible. And the thing is, the more I did that, the worse my sin got. It didn't help anything. Now, you can call, feeling bad wasn't helping me. And I remember when I realized that, and it almost felt sacrilegious, it, because things shifted for me. And, I, and when I sinned, I was like, you know, I, it's not about feeling bad. I'm just, no, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to shift how it, or maybe I'll do it less, or maybe I'll shift, I'm shifting my thinking, but I'm not sitting on the ground, I'm not wasting those hours feeling bad about it. I'm spending much less time actually thinking about how I can just get that out of me. Get that out. I don't want that there. I don't need that there. And it was less about the feelings and more about just practical, like, okay, this is here. I don't want it here. I'm going to do what I can to get it not here. And at first, I actually felt like maybe I should be feeling bad. Is this, is this theologically correct? And I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I got to get out of my four nature and I just got to do what it takes to get my heart pleasing God and to realize that he's already pleased by me. I haven't, I haven't screwed everything up by this sin. He still loves me so I can just move forward. When the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sin from us. I think sometimes we go to God and we're like, God, I did it again. And he's like, what do you mean again? This, this is like the first. Like, there is nothing else. I've, I've blotted that out. There are two words used for repentance in the Greek in the New Testament. One is metamelamai, 
which means to have feeling or care or concern or regret, which is akin to remorse. So it's, it's all the feels. That's used eight times in the New Testament. Only one of those times could it even possibly potentially be used for the kind of repentance that actually brings us closer to Christ. And one of the other times it's used is actually used about Judas. Judas felt bad and then he went and hanged himself. He fell all the feels. He repented. It's the word used for repentance. He felt bad. What, what are we taught? We're supposed to feel bad when we sin. I hate to say it, but how do we even do it with our kids sometimes? As a parent, don't you, don't you, sometimes don't you just want your kid to feel a little bit bad? Like, you really should kind of feel bad about doing this again. <laughs> the other word for repentance, though, is metan- metanoio. And it means to have another mind. Not just to change your mind. Think about this. To have another mind, a different mind. Something transplanted into you. When we talk about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, it means this, what's normally there is gone and it's replaced with a brand new way of thinking that doesn't make sense on this earth. That's not looking at what's visible anymore. To have another mind which describes the radical change whereby a sinner turns from the idols of sin and of self to God. That's used 36 times in the New Testament. That, that's repentance. It's not about feeling bad. In fact, guys, I will tell you in my life, this is just anecdotal, but when I have felt shame and guilt and condemnation, it always makes it worse. And when I remember who he sees me as, that's where I can be transformed. There's so many scenarios in the Bible where we get to decide which person in the story we're going to identify with. Saul has a son, Mephibosheth, who is a cripple. And David seeks him out. Sorry, Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. He's a cripple. And David seeks him out to honor his friend Saul, who has died. And he finds him. And Mephibosheth eats at the king's table. And we think about this amazing story, and in a lot of ways, it's a parallel of what God does with us. We, we are welcomed in, we're brought in, we're the orphan, and he l- provides for us, even though he doesn't have to. But we have to decide, how long are you just going to identify with Mephibosheth? Because I think, in some ways, God's calling us to identify with David. We're not always going to be the prodigal son at some point, our identity needs to shift and you actually become the father. You become the one with the resources, the one with the calling. We're not, it's, it's kind of like we've got this mentality of church as a hospital. It's not supposed to stay that way. At some point, you become the doctor. We've got to make that jump because as long as we feel like, poor me, I'm little, I'm horrible, I'm small, We are losing out on the word of God and the development of our calling and our destiny. And here's the key for me that I have found. We've got to track what God says. I mean, religiously, when God says something, write it down. Don't lose track of it. It doesn't matter. It may make no sense. I can't tell you how many times 
I've had a dream or a word or something, and I wrote it down in my journal, and it didn't make sense for years. Sometimes 10 years later, I get a, oh my gosh, that's what it means. But if I hadn't wrote it down, it would never be there to develop. Those are seeds, and when we write it down, it's like planting it. I use a program called Evernote. It's just a little piece of software that I use, and I track my notes, and I have a journal. I have a notebook on there that's words for me. I have a notebook on there that's words for Keystone. And I go in there and I review them and I look at what's going on and it shifts my mind back into the renewed mind. It shifts me back into, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if we don't have much in our bank account right now. It doesn't matter how much we're struggling. We, I'm going to remember who I am. I'm going to live out of princehood. I'm going to give out of princehood. I'm not going to give based on what I see I have. I'm going to give on what he says I have. We have to let what God reveals to us penetrate deeply. Here's the thing. Sometimes we, we have a, a community that loves questions, and I love that. I think that has brought us so much life. I think it has brought healing. I think it has brought a truer revelation in some ways of who God is. But I also think at some points we can keep our minds and our thoughts and ideas so open that even when God does drop a word, we don't realize it's him, and we don't hold on to it, and it just blows away with the wind. And there's nothing wrong with the questions. I'm not condemning that. But we have got to treasure and value the words that God speak like they are our life bread. Because I guarantee you that when you honor the word of God, he will give you more. I love how when the angel speaks to Mary... It says Mary treasured it in her heart. Now, Mary didn't have Evernote. But we can write it down. We can track it. And I guarantee you, you will see... You will see miracles. You will see prophetic... Things that you didn't even realize were prophetic, that you prayed about or that you felt like God said, and you'll see them come. We have an awesome word for this year, and I'm excited to see how it develops for the church, the House of Acts. I don't even know what that means, honestly. Like, I don't know how that plays out, you know? But we got, we got two words about it. We're supposed to work sin out of our homes and our families and our hearts, and we're supposed to be House of Acts. We're supposed to be a place where miracles happen and people are healed. And I'll tell you, I don't know what that looks like, but I want that. I don't want to have to control that and figure all that out, but I want that. I feel like it's a confirming word with something that, that Catherine and I and several other people, I know most of you guys have had things where you're just feeling this God's doing stuff and we want to see more and we actually want to create a container to allow that to happen better. We have to have God intervening in our lives and in the world. We need a kingdom that goes beyond what we can see that goes beyond just words and ideas. We need heaven's answers to our struggles and ourselves. And the world deserves a proper introduction to the same Christ that healed lame man, that opened blind eyes, that demonstrated God's love with power. So I think it's time to take some risks. It's time to believe some dangerous things about ourselves. And the things of the Spirit are wild and outrageous and sometimes really scary. But we need them. We need God's Word over our lives. 
1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 16 says, for, we, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one compre- comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, that's the old mind, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. They are not spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. I love that too. Think about how freeing that is. It's not about the judgment of man. It's not about what anybody else is about. We don't do things for the applause of the person next to us. And then it says, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? So many people quote that verse as if to say, like, God is so unknowable. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But the next verse says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's the new mind. That's the redeemed mind. The mind of Christ. I just want to encourage us. The first step, the first concept, the first key to reigning in life is getting your mind right. You cannot afford to think your own thoughts about yourself. You cannot afford to think what your mom said about you. You cannot afford to think what your dad said about you, what your teacher said about you, what that other pastor or spiritual leader said about you. You cannot afford to think anything about yourself that God doesn't think about you. And here's the thing, sometimes that scares us because our concept of God says, well, he must be mad at me. He must think these things. We've got to seek it out. We've got to dig into it. You've got to pray into the Spirit get in the word, really discover and seek out what is he saying about you. Here's the thing. He is real, which means he has a voice and he speaks. He didn't just stop. He didn't just go away. So we have got to find his voice to us, about us. In the Psalms, David says, how many are your thoughts regarding me? If I were to count them, they would number more than the grains of sand. God is thinking about you all the time. He's fixated on you. He can't stop thinking about you. Think about what that means. And I guarantee you, he's not ticked off. He is just waiting for you to embrace the open arms that he already has for you. So I just want to pray over us. And uh, we have a little extra time. What I'd love to do, actually, is get the cool cats over here and the hot dogs over here to just kind of gather up together. And let's talk about this for about 10 minutes. And then I want you guys to pray over each other. Cool? All right. God, we just bless you. We thank you that you've given us a new perspective. We just ask that your reality would become stronger in us than the reality we can see and feel. 
that we would actually encounter, God, your passion for us, your destiny for us. God, I ask that we would be like David, that we would fulfill everything you called us to do in our generation. And Jesus, we just thank you that your, your love for us, your desire for us, your thoughts about us are so much more and so much better than our own. And God, I pray for each of us that where there's been a knot of wrong thinking about ourselves that came from words that someone else spoke, I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would just draw that out and cut that off, that those words would be forgotten, that the negativity, the, the, the concept of the identity that came from those things over each person in this room where there's something that's stuck, I just pray that would be removed and just forgotten in the name of Jesus. Amen.